This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. We often have um, diverse expectations, and uh, which doesn't necessarily line up with reality, and because uh, sometimes our expectations don't line up reality. We get disappointed. Today, we're going to talk about something uh, similar, our expectations for God. And I don't think this is a preachy, preachy sermon, but I do think it's an appropriate one. I honestly think that our expectations for God are too low. And the challenge is with that, well, why? Now, I can't give you an answer why your expectations may be lower than the reality, but the truth is God is unlimited. He's infinite. He can do anything. But the challenge is trusting God with what he wills to do. There's part of this sermon I can't answer for you. That's the beauty of, I think, my particular preaching style because I don't have the answers for you regarding exactly what you're supposed to do. But I can say that I know where the answer lies. I'll say this, all the answers that you want in your life lie somewhere in the hand of Jesus Christ. But if you try to get the answer outside of Jesus, I guarantee you will be disappointed. There are times when people think they're going to Jesus for the answer, but really they're coming up with their own answer. They make decisions and they go about life and because they've done these things, they say, Jesus bless me when all the while he's back here. You never got your answer. You assumed, you presumed, you thought God's will was your will. But as you continue to walk this life out, you begin to understand something fundamentally different happening. And what's that? God's will is not ours. I hear people talking about how, man, this is how church should be. And they don't realize God has a will for a church. And God's will is not our will. Some people think, hey, I know what marriage should be. When I get married, ha, all my needs will be met by my wife, and I'll be happy. Thank you, Lord. Come on, can I get an amen? amen? But then you get married, you realize, wait a minute. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And you start wrestling with the reality of my expectations not being met, and you get disappointed, right? And your expectations may be up here and reality's down here. And this is the level of offense that you have in between expectation and reality. So what I've found is people begin to lower their expectations, right? Because <laughs> they don't want to get this sense of hopelessness to overwhelm them. And that's the part where we really struggle as human beings. When you find this place of hopelessness, which seems almost suffocating, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get out of this. I'm not going to be able to overcome this scenario. I'm not going to be able to achieve this goal that I thought I was going to achieve. And then you feel this overwhelming sense of angst that comes and you can't shake it. 
At that point, my personal belief is where you grow. At that point is where you turn to God. But so often, that's when people give up. They say, well, it's not going to happen. I might as well go in another direction. I might as well say, hey, well, just chalk that one up on life's lessons, and I'll just keep on moving. But that's not where you run. That's the part where you engage God wholeheartedly. This is the point when you cry out to Jesus. God is constantly allowing us to get to that point of hopelessness so that you will go to him in hope. And if you think I'm making this up, remember Abraham, who was hopeless, believed in hope because his son was going to be, in a sense, sacrificed. But he thought, you know what, even though God asked me to sacrifice him, God will raise him from the dead. This is where you get that type of hope from. You only get that hope from your confidence in God. That's the part we wrestle with. How much do you trust him? Literally. How much do you believe in him? How much do you think he can do for you? Do you think he can really solve your problems? Are we just, you know, making this game up? Am I just this dude who comes to speak to you, try to sound like I got some cool things to say? Or is this real? Can God answer our prayers? Can he make a way out of no way? Well, that's what today's sermon is about. God making a way out of no way for a couple of individuals. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into the text. Father, God, I ask you with the brief time I have to help me, Lord God, communicate your word in a way that gives you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 31. I got a quote by a gentleman named Peter Wade, and he says, the most vital key in the period between believing and manifesting the answer is the matter of expectation. Now, I'm not a pastor who preaches faith like you hear a lot of pastors preach faith. I am a faith pastor. I come from faith-based churches, and I believe that we're saved by faith, not works. However, my understanding of the word faith is a little bit different than most people because if you go to the concordance, look it up yourself, the word pastuo, which is I believe, is different than I think most people have interpreted. When we hear the word faith as it's transliterated in English, most people think it's the same word as believing or if you're intellectually assenting to a truth, meaning is God, does God exist? Well, yes, I believe God exists. Well, you've assented intellectually to that fact that you believe God exists. But the problem with that is, James says the demons, what? Believe. But they're not saved. He said, you've done well. The demons believe and tremble. That's, that's not the faith, biblical faith that's being communicated. Biblical faith is more akin to trust. Do you trust God? That's when people start to sweat. Because trust comes in when there's a seemingly risk to it. Will God come through for us? Will God provide his income for our rent? Will God help this car make it through the snow? Will God help my spouse stay faithful? Will God bring my children into saving faith? We have to have this expectation on God, and that's the part that he's communicating. Now, I trust God, but I trust God because I've come to know him, to spend time with him, I'm getting to know his character more and more. And as I begin to experience more of life, my faith in God grows. The problem is that people come to church and they think, hey, I'm coming to church. I'm checking off my box. I'm doing this ritual thing. And just as a consequence of that, I'm going to grow in faith. But that's not necessarily how your faith grows. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word, yes. But James talks about faith without 
works is dead. You have to apply what you're hearing to your life. God's spirit is a big part of this process. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus revealed God's kingdom to these individuals who needed some hope. We've talked this uh, past month about uh, out of Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to go through a little category list of certain things that happened to lead us to today. If you remember, we talked earlier that Jesus went and healed a paralytic. And the reason why that's important, because there he revealed that he really was God. Now, he didn't say he was God. He told the man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy was like, well, who? that's blasphemy. Who could forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus was like, oh, okay. Well, so you know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Take up your mat and walk. Thereby inferring, implying that he was God. Then he ran into Matthew, the tax collector. Most scholars believe Matthew was around that scenario when it happened, around that event. So Matthew was a sinner. Matthew was a tax collector. So tax collectors and prostitutes were overt sinners. Now we know everybody is a sinner, but Matthew was a particularly heinous sinner. He was a guy who wore the scarlet A on his, on his chest. But he realized Jesus had the ability to forgive. So he began to follow Jesus. And then Pharisees began asking him, how is this guy, your master, hanging with these sinners? And Jesus then conveyed the term, God prefers mercy over sacrifice. He said, go and learn what that means. And that was a really important point to this text because God prefers relationship over you checking off this list that I'm doing all these good things. We can't be good. All of us are sinners. This is not about you doing the right thing. Now, right actions come as a result of you getting closer to God, but you can't earn your way into being right with God. That's the whole point of the cross. The Old Testament, the, the law was designed to show people, regardless of how tight they thought they had it, they always failed. And Jesus Christ came by grace to give us a new heart so that we want to do the things that were before humans didn't want to do, particularly the Jews. And now we find ourselves in a scenario where Jesus is being questioned about fasting, another ritual. And he goes and tells them, listen, it's about interacting with God. All along, Jesus is trying to take the Pharisees and Sadducees from this place of religion to relationship. And most people say it tongue-in-cheek, but it's very real. Do you know God for yourself? Before you leave this earth, you have to, with confidence, say, I know who he is. Paul said that I may know him. Paul, who had been to the third heaven, still said that was hope beyond all hope, that he knew God. The question for you today is, do you know God? Let's jump into verse 18. I'm going to read it. We're going to talk. We don't have a lot of time, but I have a lot of text to cover, so I'll do the best I can. Now he goes on and he says, while he spoke these things to them about fasting, Behold, a ruler came and worshiped him. Now, this is so interesting. Why? Because Mark and Luke have this same instance, this same phenomenon, the same event that happens, but Mark and Luke are a lot more detailed. Here in Matthew, he's very vague. Now, that's interesting because Matthew, we say, is the gospel written to the Jews. We say Matthew probably was a guy who took shorthand. So he has three of Jesus' four most profound or longest sermons. So we question, why would Matthew not add the details that Mark, which was very short, and Luke, which is very detailed, had? Because Matthew's trying to communicate something different than the others. Here, Jesus is revealing God's kingdom to the world. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel of the kingdom is here. And now Jesus is going about healing people, showing him the power of God's kingdom. This is important. Why? Because when we talk about heaven or God's kingdom, we realize at that point there is wholeness. In God's kingdom, there is no sickness, no death, no disease. No, all our problems are fixed in God's kingdom. And Jesus has been just trying to tell them, look, this is not about religion. This is about relationship. And because you have this relationship, then you have access to the kingdom. And once you have access to the kingdom, you have access to all these great benefits of the kingdom. It goes on to say, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. This is interesting. Why? Because where did he get this thought? Why did he say, if you touch her, she'll live? Why didn't he say, if you just speak the word? Why did he just say, if you throw me your handkerchief? Why did he just say, you just sit down and pray right now and she'll be healed? No, he had a very specific request. And listen to Jesus' response. So, Jesus rose and followed him. Jesus didn't say, hey, I can heal. I don't need to go over there and heal. I don't need to waste her time. I'll just speak the word right now. She'll be healed. No, he actually fulfills the request. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. And as Jesus is going to heal this young girl, this woman who had a sickness for 12 years touches the hem of his garment. Why? For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Once again, there's this interesting phenomenon happening. She has an expectation. Where did she get it? I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us that because that's not the point of the text. The point is she did have an expectation on Jesus. And what happened? She turned around and when he saw her, he said, be a good chill, daughter. Your faith has made you well. So she had an expectation on Christ, and Christ responded to her based on her expectation of him alone. There wasn't any other reason that she was healed the way she was other than the expectation she had on Jesus. Does that make sense? I want to go back real quick to make another point. Here, this woman had a disease. Here... This woman is dead. Now, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 21 and you read it, priests could not go into the presence of people who were dead. Remember that? Go back to Leviticus chapter 1. If you had a disease, you could enter God's presence. So there's this underlying contrast that's happening, Jesus to the Levitical priesthood. If a priest was in the scenario, he couldn't go to the dead person. He'd be like, oh, that's too bad. Even though he is representing himself to God, the people to God, he can't help this individual. And this woman who has this disease, the priest couldn't come near her either. They had to stay away from these type of issues because it would make them unclean. Now, the beauty of Christ is he didn't need to, in a sense, have these restrictions because he had the capacity to help bring wholeness to them. 
She touched the hem of his garment. I don't know if you ever read the book of Samuel. Saul had the kingdom of God ripped from him from David. Thank you, Lord. And because of Saul's sin, he lost the kingdom. But the physical example of that is when Samuel was walking, Saul tore his robe. And then Saul responded, just as you ripped this robe off me, so God has ripped the kingdom away from you. Later on, as David was in the cave, Saul was in the cave. And while he was there, he cut off the hem of his garment, representing authority. So here, this is in lieu or referencing back to the authority that was taken from David, from Saul. This here is the real authority that Jesus Christ had. Somehow, she had this thought, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. We don't know where she got the thought from, but she had it. And because she had it, she was made whole. We go on to verse 22. It's talked about her being healed. Verse 23, it says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd welling, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Now, this is where words are important. Why would this be said here? Why would this even be added to the text? And they ridiculed him. So I went to Egypt, and when I was in Egypt, I was in this place called the Cave Church. And it's a church that is the Coptic Church's headquarters. And they're actually inside caves. Their whole church is inside a cave. And as we were going to a cave, there were these women who were coming up the mountain crying. They were professional mourners. And they mourn for a living. These are people who knew what dead people look like. The scriptures try to communicate this girl is 100% dead. But Jesus has an interesting response. But when the crowd was put outside, he, Jesus, went in, took her, the little girl, by the hand, and the girl arose. So here there's a literal, he's in a sense not resurrecting him, but he's in a sense when you need CPR, you get what? Resuscitated, because eventually she died again. So Jesus is showing he has power over all these diseases, death, sickness, the issue of blood. The kingdom of God has come out to the people. And because of this, all this, in a sense, amazing things are happening, and Jesus is getting credit for it but he did all these acts in homes. He didn't do these things out in the public. It's interesting. I'll make the point once again more clear a little bit later. And it says, and therefore, the report of this went into all the land. And when Jesus departed from there, two blind men following him cried out saying, son of David, have mercy on us. Once again, these are blind men. Blind men did not have access into the presence of God. This, once again, is another example of how Jesus is better than Levitical priesthood. Blind people didn't have access to God. People who had an issue of blood didn't have access to God. People who are dead obviously didn't have access to God. And because of this, the Old Testament could not meet the needs of the people. But Jesus is showing here he can meet those needs because somebody came to him with the need. But once again... Listen to this, and this is the point. Son of David, have mercy on this. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. 
And Jesus said to him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Now the point. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. Once again, according to your expectation, let it be done unto you. The point is clear. We all either have or not have expectations on God. God is trying to tell us we need to have expectations on our relationship with him. I'm not just talking about a miracle. I'm talking about a literal relationship. I have an expectation. When I wake up at home on Monday through Friday that I have blueberry muffins, sausage, and some eggs, and some coffee. Now, if I should happen to wake up and there aren't any blueberry muffins, coffee, and eggs, I can't even make it through my day. I suffer. I I well because I'm going to be hungry the entire day. Now, my sister's here, and she's probably said, get up and cook your own food. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But the truth is this. I had an expectation of my wife, and I held her to the expectation. And if she ever doesn't have the breakfast ready, man, I'm really disappointed. But what happens if I don't even have an expectation on her? What is that saying about my relationship to her? What do you say about somebody who you start lowering your expectations for? The issue is you doubt the quality of their character. When you start lowering your expectation on somebody, you say, hey, their character is not up to par, so I'm not going to hold them to such a high standard. And when we lower expectations for God, what we're saying is, God, your character is not really up to par, God, so I'm not going to hold you to such a high standard. And that is the challenge that we have. Is God really trustworthy? Can you trust him? Or have you lowered your expectations for him? My wife once had an expectation for me that I would change the oil in the car. Let me, let me preach right here. I don't know how to change the oil in the car at all. I'm just being honest. I'm like, man, Jiffy Lube down the street somewhere. Let's, let's go down to Bob, Bobby and Steve's. It's like, they can, that's money. She said, I could change the oil. I don't need any man to help me. Change. I could do it myself. Obviously, this is when we're new in our marriage, right? And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, I'll take care of it. You, 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 you stay inside and get those blueberry muffins ready. <laughs> so I go outside and I'm gone about a half an hour. I come back like, it's finished. Yeah. Thank you, Bobby and Steve. <laughs> I didn't know how to change that oil. <laughs> I still don't know how to change it. I have not invested in my ability to change oil. I'm just, I'm, I'm bad. I'm just pitiful. But nevertheless, she started looking at me sideways. Like, we have this little joke that we look at each other like, you know, like, oh, hmm. And she looks at me that way when it comes to oil. She now is keeping records on the oil. Have you changed the oil lately? I'm like, oh. But I mean, but, but I'm saying her, I didn't, I didn't reach the expectations she had for me. So I'm paying the price. Where are your expectations for God? I, yes, I, I, I messed up some of the sermon today. I, yes. And I'll, I'll mess it up again next week. And in the coming weeks, I'll mess up. And in, in, in my relationship with my wife, I'll mess it up. But you can't let anything hinder you from having expectations for God. Because if you don't, what you're saying is, God, your character is not up to par. 
Isn't that Satan's temptation? Did God really say? Oh, God's holding something back. God can't be trusted. He's a mean God. He's trying to hold back from you. Question his character and in a sense, lower your expectation. And by doing that, what you're saying is you're really better than God. You have the capacity to critique and judge God. And isn't he the one that's perfect? Isn't he the one we're trying to be like? It says, and their eyes were open. And Jesus, listen to this, sternly warned them saying, now Jesus healed these blind men. Now he's saying, shh, don't tell anybody. And what happens? He says, see, no one knows it. But they had departed and spread the news about him in all the country. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus healed somebody, and now he's healing people, and he's saying, be quiet. Why? Because here, as he's talking and preaching about the kingdom of God, he doesn't want people to just want to come up to him because of the gifts. He wants people to love God because of the words he's communicating. If Jesus can always fix our problems, and we just come to because he's fixing our problems, then where's the real relationship? I'm not going to bash my, my children, but sometimes my kids call me and they say, Daddy, Daddy, I want a jersey. I want an Odell Beckham jersey. <laughs> oh, hey, bud, I haven't heard from you in six months. How are you doing? Oh, Daddy, please give me the Odell. Odell's ball. And I'm like, okay, bud, gotcha. And I'll get the jersey. And then next year, Dad, 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 oh, I want a Cam Newton jersey. I'm like, how you doing, buddy? I hadn't heard from you in 12 months. How's life? It's good. Can you give me that jersey? Oh, yeah, buddy, I'll get it. it, it what's happening? Like, it's, he's not really in the relationship because of me. He's in it because of what I can get. What are you in this relationship with God for? Are you in it because you love him? Or are you in it just to give gifts, get gifts? And that's what he's communicating here. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. Got a couple points, and I'm completely done. Your expectations in Christ's abilities determine how Christ meets your needs. What do you have in your mind? What have you set up? What paradigm in order to convey to yourself how God's abilities interact with your life? What expectations do you have for God? Some of you have come from churches where God is a miracle worker, and he is. But what if he doesn't do the miracle? Do you change your expectations? What if God doesn't change the situation? Like, do you still trust him? Is he still a good God? Your expectation in Christ's ability to determine how Christ meets your needs. Next point, understand how God limits his interactions in your life. God has set himself these limits regarding how he interacts with you. And it is your level of trust in him, your expectations. God can fix every single problem we have right now. Think about it. Think about one problem you have right now. If God will fix it, you'd be like, hey, I'll be on cloud nine. But why doesn't he fix it? And when you ask that why, then you start to get into the reality of your scenario. What if God doesn't fix this? What does that say about him? What does that say about me? What do you really want from God? 
God is trying to change your character into the image of his son Jesus. And he uses trials to do that. He uses tests. Are you willing to be faithful until the end? Next point, build on your expectations of God. How do you build on your expectations of God? You spend time with him. You engage with him. You read his word. And I always say, man, there you have the Bible on CD. They have the Bible on the audio Bible. They have the uh, U version. I'm listening to all the versions. I hit play in every morning. And if I can't read, I play and I listen to it. I just, I got to get enough. I can't get enough of God's word. And because I can't get enough, I think that's helping me know him more. But if you say, hey, man, I've, I've read my word enough this week. I'll read it again next week. Like that's, you're trying to check this list. It's not about a list. It's about relationship. There's not a book that has been designed to help me relate better to my wife. Now, there are a lot of five love languages, but I got to apply the truth. There's secret of the divine. I have to apply the truth of the secret of the divine. There's love and respect. I got to make it happen. Reading it in itself does not make this thing work. You have to apply these truths to your life. Why don't you do it? So God can do more in your life. I remember going to church and hear people talking about faith, and I always left so depressed because I said, man, I ain't got enough faith. I need to build my faith muscle up. And I keep on lifting weights, and I keep on getting disappointed. I'm like, what's happening? The issue isn't faith in my faith. The issue is faith in God's ability. Do you believe God can do all that he says he can do? If you do that, there then you're doing well. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.